I'm Salesflare and this is Founder Coffee. Every few weeks I have coffee with a different founder. We discuss life, passions, learnings in an intimate talk, getting to know the person behind the company. For this 46th episode, I talked to Steven Benson, founder and CEO of Badger Mapping, a leading mapping platform and route planning app for field salespeople. After studying geography and doing an MBA, Steven spent his whole career in field sales at companies like IBM and HP, and then went on to sell the Google Maps API to businesses. Being exposed to a lot of mapping problems, he figured there was a space in the market for a mapping product for field salespeople. That's when Badger Maps was born. Almost nine years later now, Steven leads a bootstrap business with a team of 75 people. We talk about the power of podcasting, studying languages, doing three-hour bike rides on a stationary bike, and why he might move his company out of the valley. Welcome to Founder Coffee. Hey, Steve. It's great to have you on Founder Coffee. Hey, Yaron. Great to to be here. You're a co-founder of of Badger Maps. Uh, For those who don't know uh, yet, what do you guys do? Badger Maps is a uh, CRM add-on that effectively helps field sales teams. The things that we do for field sales teams is take the data from their CRM system about their customers and put it onto a map for their field sales people, give them the ability to have those field sales people plan their day, uh, build a route, focus on the right customers. Uh, it has a whole suite of tools for, for the outside or the field salesperson. Yeah. So is it is it focused around mapping then, like the name says? Or well, it's it's uh, it's on a map. Fun. So at, at at its base layer, it's taking data and putting it on a map. And uh, I, so hence that's what we can. That's the, it, yeah. when you look at it, it looks like a map that it does a bunch of things. But it's a different way of looking at your data that is extremely useful for people that are out in the field. So you wouldn't use this if you were just interacting with your customers uh, over the phone. It's for people like med device sales reps or people that sell beer to bars or pharmaceutical sales reps, that sort of, per- that sort of salesperson that goes out into the field and meets with their customers uh, every day. Right. And that's because CRM systems don't, don't really cover that uh, as much, right? Yeah. I mean, they, they, uh, the, our, that one does Salesforce. They they purchased our biggest competitor, but the other ones, um, you know, they they uh, and we work with Salesforce as well, obviously. But then we uh, the other ones would just if you wanted this type of capability, it's too niche for them to have gone into basically because um, field sales is just a small segment of of the world of sales. You know, there's retail sales and inside sales and online sales, and so you would just you you know it, it's too niche for them to have. Uh, you know, built built out uh, a whole suite of tools just for this one type of person. And yeah. so what we do is kind of convert the CRM for that one person, which helps them gather more data and get more usage, et cetera. Yeah. And, and is this um, based on a, on a problem you had yourself? I see before um, Badger Maps, uh, until exactly the month before you were working as a regional sales manager at Google. Is that where it sort of started or...? Yeah, my my whole career had always been in in field sales, and uh, this is back back in the day when when we sold 
software as field sales reps. Today, most software is sold via inside sales reps. Maybe not the bigger deals, but for the and I think that's actually a, a mistake in in general. I think we'd we'd sell more software and, and at higher price points with shorter sales cycles if we actually got in front of our customers. But in general, um, in software today, we we do most of our deals over the phone. Um, and yeah, so I. I I was always in field sales, so I had, I had a, lot, a lot of exposure to the types of problems that we ended up solving. And then when I was at Google, I was uh, the thing that I was um, selling was the Google Maps API, which is is kind of the base layer yeah. of the maps that we're using here. So I was exposed to the, both the problem and the thing with which we would solve the problem. Right. Yeah, I, I see you even have a, a BA in geography. That's funny. <laughs> I do. Yeah, I'm. I'm, uh, I'm one of the only people to ever use a geography degree in the real world. But <laughs> right. <laughs> so you you studied geography. I see you also did an MBA, um, and then you ended up uh, in sales somehow, and then you sort of got to combine these things. Um, yeah, and by that's building out Badger Maps. So. Right, and and that's a weird path. I mean, not not many people that. I think I was one of the only people in my MBA class that uh, pursued sales. Usually, it's not it's not as uh, it's it's not as academic a career path, and and you don't need the MBA to start a career in sales. And so, MBAs tend to, um, especially MBAs at a top schools, tend to do things that you needed the MBA to get right. So, yeah, i banking or consulting or um, you know things like that. But they, I uh, I went with the sales path because I. I was always, I was, it attracted me, the, the, the interactions with customers, the, uh, the, the clear goals, um, the, the doing of things, <laughs> on the, you know, very tangible things. But I think uh, the thing, some, there are things about sales that people shy away from mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, because it's so, so, so much transparency, so easy to judge, uh, you know, with, with real numbers, how this person's doing, there's no way to fudge it. Um, so I think, uh, but I I think it's one of the best career paths to start out in if you ultimately want to run a business, because so much of what we do as, as a, as a leader of a company has to do with sales, whether we're selling to employees, whether we're selling to investors, whether we're selling to customers, obviously it's, uh, I I think being, I, I think of being a CEO as being a, uh, more being a sales job than, than anything else. Yeah, no, exactly. I, I actually, I, I did business school myself as well. And I remember we had this career day sort of, it was, uh, and, and some, some alumni came uh, doing a testimonial and there was this one guy, I, I forgot his name or where he was selling, uh, but he was doing the exact same story. He was saying like, okay, so you guys all did business school and I know sales is probably not the first thing you're thinking about. But there's really a lot of value in in in, in doing it, and and getting that experience uh, will will make you ready to to actually lead a company the proper way. Yeah, I, I really think it's highly valuable experience, especially for a startup, because you know when you're starting a company, you're the first salesperson, mm-hmm. and you know, and, and even before you're making sales that have revenue you're selling the idea to people and, and it may be the right idea. And it may not be the exact right idea. You may need to tweak it a little bit. Um, 
but if you haven't been able to sell it to a whole bunch of people, you don't know which direction to tweak it. Yeah. And so, you know, when I was first starting Badger, I guess the thing that I did that was differently different that I could tell, I could tell it was different than what most other founders were doing mm-hmm. was that I was extremely focused on, we, we basically, I, as a, I, I was a, a professional salesperson, right? So I, I was bringing mm-hmm. all these tools to bear that most startups didn't have because most sales, startups don't have a professional salesperson on staff from day one. And so before we even had the thing built, I was interacting with hundreds of, of perspective, ultimately prospective customers, show, tell, showing them the idea, talking to them about the idea, show, mm-hmm. getting getting different versions of, of what it would look like in front of them and, and asking them, you know, if, if we were to build this, w- would you purchase it? And, uh, and for this much money and, and getting them to a whole bunch of people, getting the whole bunch of people to say yes, before you, when you're six months away from having the thing built at all, but, but yeah. getting them to say, yeah, I, I would, I would buy that if you made it. Um, that, then when it actually does get made, you have a whole, you have a ton of people that you, you've been in touch with and kind of a bunch of people that are ready, ready to convert. And, and that's why we were able to bootstrap the business was because we had all, all these people from very early on who were, before we even had really the, even the, the basic version of it built, we had all these people that were willing to purchase it. And, uh, and, and the reason I was able to do that was, because, you know, because I already knew how to run sophisticated sales processes. And, you know, we just, we had a, we had a full-time professional salesperson on staff. And that's not to say it wouldn't have been really useful if I could code because, but I, I can't, I don't, I don't code, but, um, but I was doing like running professional sales plays on a product that didn't even exist yet. Yeah. Cool. What, what was it exactly that you figured, um, a career in sales was something for you because I can imagine that when you start studying geography, that's not that's not a moment where you think sales is going to be your job. Uh, was it in business school? Was it after? Or I, I think it was uh, it was probably before business school. My my job before business school was was sales as well, uh, predominantly. And, mm-hmm. um, and and then when I went to business school, I actually looked at a whole bunch of the traditional career paths that come out of business school. I looked at banking and investing and consulting and um, what I think what operations, but I, you know, sale sales was kind of my background. And, and, uh, and I, I was talking to a friend of mine. I remember this conversation, actually a close friend of mine, really sharp guy. And uh, he now runs a, a pretty cool company too, but he, he, uh, he was like, you know, I mean, you're, you're going to be an average consultant, but you just the way you are and, and, and the way you think and, and the skill sets you have, you could be an amazing salesperson. And, uh, and I would play to your strengths in your career. I wouldn't try to shore up your weaknesses mm-hmm. or, or, you know, so it, you know, think about a career in sales. It's not the, you know, it doesn't necessarily quote unquote use your MBA, but it, uh, it's probably where you're going to excel. Yeah. And, and at what point did you actually think about starting a company? Um, was that after Google or was it way earlier that you were already thinking about this? It was, uh, it was when I was at Google. And, and frankly, I mean, I, 
when I went to business school, I, I'd always kind of had in the back of my mind that that I'd like to start a business, and, mm-hmm. and uh, but I, I don't think I actually really thought about it seriously until I had the I, the idea for Badger and I had the vision for what I wanted the product to be, who I wanted it to be for, what problem I wanted to solve, and I. And I think that's different than a lot of people. A lot of people decide they want to start a business and they look for look for a business to start. And I think that can lead you down a path of jamming a, a round peg in a square hole. Um, you know, just because it's it's very easy to, um, if you're passionate about entre- being an entrepreneur, it's very it's it, it's it can be hard to come up with a great idea, and and, mm-hmm. and you you can pursue something that doesn't make as much sense. Where, you know, I I kind of saw this problem and it just wasn't a problem that could be solved before I started solving it because phones weren't fast enough. The internet on mobile wasn't fast enough. Um, the Google maps API wasn't mature enough. Um, and, and we needed cloud, we needed cloud computing to be at a certain point with respect to its ability to, uh, deal with geographic data. Um, and all those all those things were kind of coming together at the same time. And so when I started Badger, you couldn't do a lot of the things that we actually ended up doing, but we could do some of the basic ones we could, you know, and so it was more about, but I, I, I could see where the direction was going. I mean, I was working with Android at Google and I could see how much faster the phones were getting, um, you know, mobile, how, how it was responding to meet the, the demand they're throwing, they were throwing, this is, you know, 2011. So they're throwing up cell towers everywhere. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I could see where that w- was going and I knew the, the Google Maps API intimately. And so I, I could see that this is a problem that was important that a lot of people had that I would be able to solve. And so I was able to kind of get out ahead of, of other people that were, that would have been looking to solve it. And, and, uh, in, in software, if you're, you know, being two years ahead means that, anyone evaluating it is always going to evaluating your space or evaluating to, to purchase a product is always going to notice when you're two years ahead, either you're just going to look better than your competitors. Yeah. How, how large is the team now at Badger Maps? Uh, 75 people. Wow. That's uh, pretty big already. And I see you didn't um, really take any venture investments. Is that correct? Or? That's right. We, we were able to bootstrap the business. Um, and and once again, that's because we had we had sales abilities and sales weaponry from from day one. So mm-hmm. we uh, we were able to you know prosecute big enterprise sales deals early on. I mean, we I remember in our we our first big we got we got a big deal in the beginning of I guess that was twenty fourteen for like three just over three hundred thousand, and we only had four people at the company. Yeah. And one of them was me and I was, I wasn't paying myself. So <laughs> that $300,000 goes a long way. Mm-hmm. So, so is it, are you in the, in there for the long run with the bootstrapping or, or would you consider taking venture investment at some point? Or? Uh, I don't think we'll take venture investment. No. Um, you know, f- for us certainly, and for a lot of software companies, I, I, you know, I think SaaS often isn't a great fit for venture. I mean, sometimes obviously it is, but often SaaS companies aren't a great fit for venture because they don't grow fast enough to be big enough within the period of time that 
venture capitalists are able to get a great return or the, well, mm-hmm. the return that they need for their business model to work out. I mean, occasionally it does, but even some of the big SaaS companies, um, you know, their, their, their venture capitalists weren't happy about how long it took to get them big. It's just not like a consumer product or, you know, or, or a lot of the, a lot of internet businesses where a lot of tech technology businesses where it can really pop um, yeah. quickly. We, this just takes so long because you have to acquire real customers. They're frequently, um, I guess I would say the B2B enterprise type SaaS space. It, it just takes a long time to acquire actual customers that are paying you, you know, between 30 and a hundred bucks a month, a license. Um, so that I think there are some, some products that have a high enough price point or, you know, they they were so needed and, and weren't able to be provided before. And, and someone comes up with a way to do it. And it's just such an important solution that it just explodes. There are those, certainly those cases, so don't get me wrong, but, but frequently I think there's a tension between the venture capitalist and the, the, the B2B SaaS company uh, where, where they just, they, they needed it to, the, the venture capitalist needs it to go faster, needs to be bigger sooner than is natural for a, uh, for a, a B2B SaaS company. Yeah. So, that, so we've never gone that direction. I, I don't pre- predict that, the, that we will. If we bring in professional financing, I would imagine it'll be uh, growth equity or, or private equity. Yeah. Right. You know, I, I can see totally what you mean. It's a, there's a, many SaaS companies are not really sort of uh, revolutionizing the world or um, going to offer these huge wins that venture capitalists are looking for. So it's not yeah. that often a very good fit. And, and it is a better fit for growth equity. It's, it's, you know, it's, there's, there's actual revenue. So, mm-hmm. you know, they, so they, these businesses can be profitable. Um, they're predictable relative, relatively, um, you know, if you're creating the next Instagram, um, it, it's just, it's unpredictable, which one's going to win. Cause there's six of there's six, you know, video versions and, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just tough to tough to pick the winner and it's, uh, it happens real fast and it's uncle- sometimes it's unclear why one wins and why the other wins. And, and, and private equity companies don't like to have goose eggs on their balance sheet, right? They, they, they like to, they, it's it's not they don't like anything to go out of business. It's like well we we want it more predictable. They so they they lose fewer, but they have their wins are smaller, and that's that's well aligned with the SaaS space. It's it's uh mm-hmm. when, once the train's left the station and you've achieved a certain scale with SaaS, it's it's hard to lose. It's just it's how you know will you win big or will you win small? After, right. You know, once you cross ten million in revenue, just let's just say it's it's uh you it the company has has legs it's going somewhere it's unclear if it'll go you know public uh but it will they'll as long as the growth rates are are, are looking good and they'll be able to evaluate that they'll get the return they're looking to get yeah are, are there any companies or founders you're looking up to while while building out badger maps i mean i i guess i follow a ton of them i mean i i love listening to to SaaS podcasts and and uh and kind of hearing all these different founders and, and, and also I, I love SaaS podcasts where you can hear from a line manager, like the VP of sales of XYZ company or the, you know, the, 
the marketing person for Gusto or whatever it is. You know, like I, I love, I like hearing from the people that, that not just the ones running or founding the business, but for businesses, it's more at scale. Hearing from the people that run the different lines of business is really useful for me to kind of expose myself to, to what the way they think and what they're hearing and what, what someone who's really great at a certain role sounds like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, what is it exactly that you're putting a lot of focus on right now in Badger Maps? Like what, what is you, what, what is keeping up, keeping you up at night lately? Well, I mean, uh, the, the, the COVID situation obviously is tough on us. I mean, you know, we feel we, we, our customer is a, a field salesperson, right? And mm -hmm. it's, you know, so co with COVID field sales has been massively impacted. Um, we lost about 20% of our revenue. So, well, okay. um, so we, we were, it, it's, it was a, a decent sized hit. And so we're, and being bootstrapped, we were basically running at break even the whole time. I, I was not prepared for a 20% hit to revenue. And so now we're, we're kind of uh, trying to get growth back up. We're trying to grow back through and we are growing, but we're growing uh, very slowly right now. We were, we were growing at a nice clip, like, you know, 35% a year or so, mm -hmm. which, uh, but now we're kind of just limping along here from a growth perspective, but I, 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 it, I we, it, things have turned up and, uh, and I'm, I, I believe that they're going to keep speeding up throughout this next six months and kind of hopefully be back to a normal growth rate by, by next summer. But they're, yeah. they're just our, we have whole areas of our customer base that they just can't do business because they, they're selling to things that are closed. So if you're a guy that sells tires to a tire store, people are still buying tires. You're in business, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and so you're the tire store owner wants to meet with you to talk about tires and you're just doing that with a mask on and distanced. I think, you know, things are still very, you know, Europe is, has done a much better job than America has at this point in terms of keeping the, the virus under control. So things are relatively closed in a lot of places in America. Um, yeah. but, uh, but, uh, you know, so I, I think, so if you sell beer to bars, for example, the bars just aren't open. So the large swaths of our customer base are just not able to do their jobs and not able to have meetings and therefore are not, they've paused. So the, most of those people that quit our product, they're like, Oh, we're just pausing. We'll be back in a few months. But a lot of them have not come back and uh and i'm i'm hoping they're they're going to be able to keep their business together over time but it's just a lot of things are closed right now yeah it must be hard but what what is what what are the the main things you're doing to uh cope with this situation are you taking a different sort of target market or are there, are there other things you're you're thinking about or? um i mean there, there. Uh, we the the problem that we've solved is really that of a field salesperson, and, and you know, an, mm -hmm. an inside sales team, like I said, just wouldn't need our product. We, you know, the location of mm -hmm. someone does not matter if you're just making phone calls, right? So it, there are other area, there are other types of people, types of end users that use our product, um, and so we we have kind of upped our ramped up our sales into those types of people. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but more, more, mostly we're just focusing on the types of sales reps that are still in business. Like if you're a med device sales rep, you're still doing meetings. Um, you're just doing them in a, you know, 
in a distanced and safe way, right? Like yeah. the doc- doctors are still open for business and they still need to buy medical devices, for example. Right. So that's, I guess we just, you know, we're, we're not trying to sell uh, Badger Maps to people that sell beer to bars right now because that, you know, obviously they're just not open. So but it's, it's more focusing on cer- certain verticals that, that are really still going strong and, and haven't been impacted. But the, you know, the, the entire economy is down a ton and unemployment's extremely high right now. And, and so there's just, you know, there are a lot of, yeah, it's just, it's going to impact growth for the foreseeable future until we can kind of get this under control and turned around. Mm-hmm. What, what, how, how do your days kind of look like? Uh, what do you do during a typical day? Well, I, I, uh, I think that the higher you are in an organization and, and the more people that you used to be in an office with interacting with, the, the more this has made your job inefficient and the more, the fewer people you had to work with, the more, probably the more efficient you are just working from home. So like an engineer, for example, our engineering team hasn't, hasn't really been affected by working from home and working remotely. Whereas for me, I, you know, I, I, there, there used to be a lot of two to five minute quick meetings that I would do with people. They'd walk up to my desk and have a question. I'd walk over to their desk and have it, have, have something to talk about and we could get through things really quickly. And, and I feel like now a lot of those interactions have become 30 minute phone calls. <laughs> and yeah. So, so I spend a lot of time on the phone with, uh, with, with, uh, people that work at Badger in different roles and, you know, kind of touching base on different projects and giving input where I can. And, um, I, so I, it, working this setup pulls me in a lot of different directions uh, just because it is a small company still, and uh, and I'm in, involved in a lot of things, and um, you know, it, 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 I think that so a lot of my time is spent on phone calls, internal phone calls. You know, internally we we use we use uh, Google Hangouts, so a lot a lot of meetings over Google Hangouts. I'm I uh, I am trying to do more PR stuff and and get get the word out, and so I'm working pretty in, pretty closely with our marketing and PR team, just trying to mm-hmm. drive drive awareness of, of the product, right. You know, uh, cause we, we to, in order to grow and, and keep growth, get back to where we were and, and, and meet our expenses, we got to bring, uh, we got to bring in some new revenue. So I'm trying to focus there. Um, that's, uh, that's, mo- that's most of my time, but marketing and PR and, and I guess I would call it, I would say internal management. Yeah. What, what are some of the things you think about when you say PR is, obviously getting a, a podcast like this one, but what else is it uh, that you're thinking about? Yeah. I mean, uh, podcasts are great Pe- people. They're so popular right now. People love listening to them. Um, webinars are still, are still big. Um, and anytime that I can speak to a group of people, I, I, I like to speak to groups of people. And I, I, uh, I talk a lot about sales and and how to run a sales team, especially how to run a sales team in a time of of uh, economic crisis. That's a big topic for me mm-hmm. that I that I have a fair amount of expertise in. Because I, I I taught a class on on how to be how to effectively manage a sales team, and so I was able to convert that into a into a discussion of how to run a sales team during a time of economic crisis. And it's an important topic right now. So I've I've been able to speak to a lot of groups of people about that topic. Um, 
my podcast is, you know, is specifically for outside salespeople. So I have, I have, I have a whole podcast just with, you know, I bring sales experts on and have them talk about their area of expertise, but through the lens of this is for field salespeople. So, you know, talk about the thing you're an expert in, you know, for that audience. And uh, so that's, that's been a really great way for me to um, kind of communicate with a bunch of people who are in field sales and, and, and build that rapport and, and build, you know, give them a, something of great value, uh, which, which in turn has, has uh, driven awareness. And then I think a lot of the traditional things from P- a PR perspective, you know, just uh, articles and um, blogs and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Cool. Uh, what, what things actually give, give you energy within all these things? Like what do you like to spend your time on and then, and then get more energy to do other stuff? Um, coffee, really <laughs> coffee, <laughs> yeah. um, cold brew. Uh, I, I, uh, it's easy to make cold brew and every office should make it. You can buy a big uh, vat of yeah. cold brew and a big vat and, and the whole office can enjoy it. Toss some ice cream in there sometimes, but no, uh, that, so what gives me energy? I try to be physically active. I try to work out every day. Um, and sometimes I work, I'll work out a lot, actually. Uh, like I'll do like three hour bike rides on a stationary bike I have. And I'll, I'll watch, watch videos, either movies or educational videos, things I want to learn about, go deeper on. I'll just kind of, you know, on YouTube or whatever, I'll sit there and ride the bike for three hours and, and, and learn things or, or just watch movies. Um, my, my, one of my, I watch a lot of movies in Spanish because I'm trying to get better at my Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, so that keeps my, my mind, mind and body pretty active. And that, and I, I do that, uh, I'll, I'll often do that late at night. Um, so I, I get to look forward to that. Uh, yeah, three, but, three hours is uh, pretty long to, to stay on a stationary bike, uh, watching something, I would say. Yeah, everyone thinks I'm a maniac, but it, it's uh, it, it, you know, people that bikers, cyclists, they they'll go on three-hour bike rides all the time, and it's really kind of the same thing. I just don't have to worry about traffic. I, yeah, <laughs> I I have a mountain bike, I have a road bike. I really don't use them all that much. Mm-hmm. Um, I I really I, I've had a stationary bike for you know twelve years or so. I swapped it. I got a new one about uh, three years ago, but it's. It, it's very similar to a Peloton. It's not, it just doesn't have a screen on it, but yeah. I'd, I really recommend it for, for people that want to keep their heads clear and get a good workout and you can do it whenever you want. You can just hop on it in the morning or if you have an hour in the middle of the day or at night. And I end up doing it for longer periods of time at night, I think just because uh, it allows me to really clear my head and, and uh, you know, longer, I, I like longer workouts. I used to do triathlons. And so I think I just, I enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah, is is it sort of like do you have also peloton like uh, features on the, on on the thing or or yeah, the, the, only the, the, movies? the hardware is very very similar to Peloton. So um, I I, I uh, it, the brand's called the brand I I like is called Kaiser. It's an American company based mm-hmm. in California, and I think they've been making. It's, if you look at it, it looks the same as a Peloton. Basically, I think they were. Um, I suspect they were making Pelotons before Peloton was making Pelotons. Peloton just put a put a uh, SAS bit, a subscription model on it and put a screen yeah. on it. But uh, yeah, it, so mine doesn't have a screen. It's got it's very simple from like a 
technical perspective, but I don't really measure the output of the workouts. I don't, you know, yeah. check, I don't check my heart rate. I don't check my calories. I just don't track anything. I just don't care. Um, but just go I like, for it. Yeah. Yeah. I like to track everything in the SAS company, but uh, in, in the workout, I just, you know, I really don't care, but they, uh, so yeah, the, and I don't like, I don't take classes. I don't need, you know, the whole, like someone yelling at me and telling me to go faster. I don't need, I, it's just, it's boring to me. I'm like, I'll, I'm going fast enough. So yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I, I like to kind of zone out and focus on the, you know, the, either the movie or, and, and, and watching movies in other languages. I mean, and obviously you know, Europeans are familiar with this, but Americans are a lot less so, but watching movies in other languages makes it a lot more engaging just because you're, it's tapping into this whole part of your brain. And so I'll, I'll watch the movie in Spanish or Portuguese because those, those are the two languages I'm working on. Yeah. Um, and that allows me to kind of be very, it, you know, my body and my mind are very focused in that do well when I'm doing that. So it's, yeah. uh, it's very, a great way to unplug and, and take the, take the needle off the record, so to speak. And you're you're working on both Spanish and Portuguese at the same time, or? Um, not so much. I just I, I those are the two languages I speak, and I'm, I'm not I'm not working on Portuguese all that much. I should. Mm -hmm. uh, I I'll, I'll watch a movie in Portuguese every once in a while just to like keep it keep it on the top of my mind. But um, but I'm I'm probably better at Spanish at this point, and that's the one I focus on more. It's Spanish is so important, and and you know, in, in America, there's so many people that speak it as their first language and, mm -hmm. um, it's a really common one. And then I, I have a, a, a team in Spain, so I end up going there a lot. Um, so it's, it, it, uh, that's Badger's second biggest team is, is out of Spain. So I, you know, it, I've got a lot of reasons to learn it and be good at it. Yeah. And I just, I enjoy it. It's just a beautiful language. And, and, uh, I, I like, ha I like tapping into that part of my brain. Yeah. Do you, do you watch them with, uh, English subtitles or with the uh, Spanish or Portuguese subtitles? English subtitles. I'm not that good. <laughs> 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 I, that's, that's really, uh, my next, you know, if, if I had a little more time to focus on it and I, I will make that, that switch over. And if I've seen the movie before, I'll watch it with Spanish subtitles, but if it's the first time, uh, I'll miss a lot. If I'm, uh, if you know, I, I didn't learn it when I was a kid or anything, I kind of learned it as a grown up. So I'm not that good at it. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, Americans don't tend to learn languages when when we're little, but um, that's something we should uh, work on. Mm -hmm. you, you guys are you guys are great at it in Belgium. <laughs> yeah, we we start off with the uh, well, I. I, I I'm Dutch speaking, so we have different parts of the country. I'm from the Dutch speaking mm -hmm. part. Um, actually, when I was a kid, we lived in the French speaking part. Uh, so I immediately got that. But the other kids uh, started at 10, I think, with French. Mm -hmm. um, at 14 with English, 16 with German. Um, and if, you, um, if you're a bit smarter, then you also do Latin and Greek. Um, mm -hmm. so it starts building up pretty quickly. Uh, we, 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 we are pretty good at picking up new languages. I'm, I'm personally working on Portuguese now because my wife is from Brazil. So, oh, okay. You know. I, I lived in Brazil for five months. That's, that's where the, that's how I got exposed to Portuguese. Oh, uh, wait, to wait, where did with. you live? I, it was, I was actually on a, this is in college. I was on a study abroad program. Kind of, uh, it was kind of like if you went to like, 
15 national parks in, mm-hmm. in, uh, in Europe, but I was doing it in Brazil. So I was just kind of hopping around studying the in- different environments and, and the different environmental problems of, uh, of Brazil. So it was a really cool program. I got to move around a lot. And then I went back and, and cool. worked on a thesis about, uh, about, uh, carbon sequestration and, um, things that they could do economically to leave the forest standing that would be sustainable. Yeah. Cool. And, and now you're in, uh, in LA, Los Angeles. Uh, I am. I'm, ba- I'm, I'm based out of LA right now. Usually I'm based out of the Bay area, but, uh, the Bay area is a, a struggle right now. Um, yeah. with, with the fires and the virus and, um, they're getting kind of hammered on both sides because San Francisco is really a very inside city. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's beautiful nature around it, obviously, but like the actual city, because it's often cold, the, this, you know, it's chilly, not cold, I guess, you know, so it's, you know, often I can't translate it to Celsius, but it's often, it's like London, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's all it never. It, and so all the restaurants are inside, all the things to do are inside. And so you, those, those have to be closed right now because the virus and then, but, but you can't go outside because um, of the smoke. So it's you can't really do anything. So I shot down to LA for a little bit here just to, just to be more comfortable. Yeah. Um, I, I read something uh, this week or last week uh, that they did a survey with uh, San Francisco founders. And um, now that everything is sort of more mobile because everybody's working remotely anyway. Um, a lot of founders would, um, would consider moving to LA actually. Yeah, LA has got a lot of advantages. Um, you know, the San Francisco has a lot of challenges right now. It's a great place to start a business if you are raising VC funding, obviously, because VCs mm-hmm. like to invest to things they can they can drive to. But uh, it, it, it's so expensive there, and it's so competitive to to hire different types of talent because there's large established really great companies there that just soak up all the talent and they're really really rich because they tend to be monopolies so they have all the money they could you know i'm talking about facebook and google and you know apple and you know there's just there's 20 huge companies that are based there and so there's just a real talent war so it's Mm -hmm. not a great place to start a business anymore it it really I, i recommend people well, I think you're almost going to need teams in other places. And so it, it, it begets the question, why are we here in the first place? So we, we started in San Francisco and then we opened up a, an office in Utah, opened up an office in Spain. We have a bunch of employees in India and the Philippines. And, um, you know, I, 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 I'm not sure. We also, we surveyed our, our employees and the only office where people were like, I never want to come back to the office was San Francisco. And it's because they, you know, they they all have nasty commutes because there's no housing in the city that they can afford, and so they yeah. end up living outside of the city and commuting in on with public transportation. Whereas the other offices were like, yeah, yeah, we want to come back when we can. Um, so you know, it's it's a it's a challenging place right now. So I, I I I very well may not open that office again. We'll have to see how people feel um, once once uh, things are back to normal here, but. We'll have to see, but it's it's a tough place to hire people. Tough place for them to then live, and because it's so because the how expensive it is, and and it doesn't really feel like it has the advantages that it used to have, um, you know, ten years ago. So it's uh, I, I'm not sure if I'll be 
I'll be uh, run, running much of the business or any of the business out of there going forward. Yeah, some Badger Maps might move out of uh, San Francisco. Or... Yeah, I mean, right now we're still technically headquartered there, but no one's there, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. So I, I might move the headquarters to, to the Utah office. Yeah. Um, slowly wrapping up um, into learnings, uh, what's the latest good book you've read and why did you choose to read it? Well, um, right now next to my bed, I guess there's, uh, and I'm in my bedroom so I can see it. <laughs> I've got, a, a, I've got uh, Jason Lemkin's book, Impossible to Inevitable on the bedside table, which then that's kind of been a, a staple there for a while. And and uh, that's one I think every SaaS founder should read. Um, and then I've got a book about how to raise a doodle, which I don't know, I, I was at a I was at Stanford's bookstore a little while back and the person that was writing it was there and, and uh, had her dog there. And so I ended up getting, getting swindled into buying it. It's kind of a silly book, but it's got a lot of nice pictures of dogs and talks about raising them. So it's kind of cute. Good. Is that the, is that the type of dog you also have in your LinkedIn picture? Or? No, in my LinkedIn picture is uh, that's a Pomeranian, which Oh, okay. It's not a, not a dog I would recommend anyone get there. Uh, <laughs> Why not? <laughs> they're just, uh, they're, they're not very useful. They don't, they don't come when they're called. They're, they're very stubborn. They're not, a, they're just, uh, they're very cute and they're very yeah. sweet and cuddly, but uh, they're, they're not a great family dog. They don't do well with kids. They, they're just, uh, they're, they're very pig headed little beasts. But uh, I, I love them. I think they're very cute. But uh, my, my, that was my last dog who unfortunately went to puppy heaven and I, I would not get another one of that breed. I kind of inherited that one from an ex-girlfriend. But uh, okay. But I, I, I really like, uh, well, I guess all kinds of dogs really. But the, the type of dog that I'll likely get next is, uh, well, whatever, whatever they have at the pound after uh, – <laughs> when when COVID's over, there's gonna be a lot of a lot of dogs. That I think it, people have to give back because they got them during COVID and then realize, oh, I have to go back to an office now. I'm, yeah, I can't have a dog anymore. So like this, but uh, I, I I really my favorite kinds of dogs right now are are doodles, and I like I like Bernadoodles, so half Bernese Mountain Dog, half Poodle, and I really like Cavapoos, which are half Cavalier King Charles, half Poodle. But I re I really I like all dogs, but, but you're you're, you're not favorite. that set on doodles. No, I wouldn't say so. I like them all, but um, but I, I I ended up with this book. But so that's that's on my bedside table. Impossible to inevitable in a book about doodles. <laughs> <laughs> if if you were to start over with with Badger Maps, uh, what would you have done differently? You think? Um. Well, I mean, bootstrapping is really hard. I mean, I, I've never had enough money to do what I want to do, and so many advantages to having a bunch of money. So raising VC is the, I mean, I'm really glad now that I didn't do it, but you know, but it would have been really useful many, many times. So it's kind of a toss up, but they, they would not have been happy with me. Right. Because I started the company, you know, almost nine years ago and we're, we're not, a we're, you know, hovering around 4 million bucks a year in revenue. That's they, they wouldn't be happy with that result. And and they'd probably be either pushing me out or pushing for a sale. So you get some liquidity or, um, you know, they're, 
it wouldn't have it wouldn't have gone well. But I really could have used them. I could have used an extra five or ten million bucks to spend. So yeah. But you, <laughs> yeah. my my question was, if you were to start over, would you do that? And you were saying you wouldn't. I think I wouldn't, but it sure would have been nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I would have gotten more debt sooner. You know, it, when, when I started Badger, there weren't yeah. as many debt options as there are today. You know, there's they, all, all, all these ways to get relatively inexpensive debt capital for SaaS businesses now, you know, lighter capital and, uh, you know, Nate Lack has got a new thing and companies like Scaleworks, you know, they, they, there's so many of these guys, Riverside, they, Timia, they all have these, there's lots of ways to get debt capital as a SaaS business now, and I and I, I uh, that wasn't available um, to me when I when I was first starting Badger. So that's that's yeah. something I would have definitely done earlier. If I was starting today, I would I would have more debt sooner. Makes sense. Final question: uh, What is the the best piece of business advice you ever got? Uh, I mean create value, create value for customers. And, uh, and then, and that, that's what makes you successful. And I kind of, I have my own theory that you get to keep about 10% of the value in the world that you create. And so just look for ways to create value and, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 and things all work out if you create enough value. So, you know, I, my, my first filter is, is the stuff that I'm doing right now creating value for people is, you know, when I'm looking at a new feature, is it creating value for customers? Is it, when I'm looking for doing, when I'm doing marketing stuff, is this, am I creating valuable content that people are really going to learn from and enjoy and engage with it, Whatever it is. I, I think that you, you keep some small percentage in the, of, of the value you create in the world, investing in employees, whatever it is across the board, like yeah. create value wherever you can. And, and some of it comes back to you. Then you get about 10% back. And I, I never heard that before, but it's a, it's an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah, I made it up. I'm not sure if it's true or not. <laughs> Good. Sometimes it's probably two percent. Sometimes it's probably two hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Steve, again for being on Founder Coffee. It was uh, really great to have you. Yeah, thank thanks for having me. Uh, I really appreciate it. That's it for this episode of Founder Coffee. We hope you liked it. Let the world know if you did. Thanks for listening, guys.